Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're going to pause here with the people. In this episode, it's me, Diara, and Miles talking about all the news that you don't know with regard to race, justice, and equity from the past week. The news that went underreported or unreported that you should know about. And then I have the pleasure of sitting down with the one and only writer, Christian Cooper, to talk about his new memoir, Better Living Be Burning, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. I learned so much. It was incredible. You will too. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Ozzy Johnson. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Pharaoh Rapture. This is Ray at Twitter on D-E-R-A-Y or on X now, as Elon would like us to call it. But, you know, it, Mama called it Twitter. I'm calling it Twitter. You cannot dead name X. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if 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 they them she her ex wants to be called X now, and not Twitter, we're gonna respect that. What was behind that? It. Is he? Is it, was it just like he just was on a yacht vacationing and just came up with this idea, or is it like a, an idea based in something that is thoughtful? Apparently, he's always wanted to name a company X and hasn't been successful. Apparently, when he uh, was a part of PayPal, he tried to rename PayPal X. And the board forced him out. And that's how we got Peter Thiel. Interesting. Yeah, that's really weird. I guess everybody, I mean, not everybody, but I guess like a lot of like diabolical, evil wrongdoers um, have like their one thing that they're fascinated with. I guess like for Mojo Jojo, the Powerpuff Girls, and for, you know, Elon Musk's ex. But I, I guess I, I kind of just vaguely get like being weirdly obsessed with a number or a letter and and kind of being like, oh, I want everything to match. I think just most of us just <laughs> go buy something. <laughs> go buy a mug, not an app. <laughs> I'm like, can we just get to the bankruptcy part so there's a new owner and we go back to normal? Like when when is the reset on what's going on over at Twitter? In all serious, DeRay, because you know that I mean, I just look at the branding and Twitter is like very like early millennial internet branding when everybody like Instagram, that kind of like light fluffy, the X has a black background. It's a little distressed and it looks a little like, 
you know, the new Republican conservative, you know what I mean? Like, it just looks like that. Do you think that that is, like, the underlying reason why the rebrand's happening, just to feel more welcoming to this new birthing conservative, I can't speak my mind anywhere, don't call me cis community? I think that might be a part of it. I also think that he's, like... I think that what is good about this Elon moment for people, even though Lord knows we are struggling through it, is I love that you still call it a moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I, this is not real to me. Is a difference between like money and genius, and he just has money. Like that's what everybody is seeing right now. Is like this is it. These decisions are not brilliant. They're not smart. They're not. And I think before he really was benefiting from the glow of genius, it was like, wow, he must really. And I think that that window is completely closed. Yeah. And I think a lot of like, even like him doing Tesla (laughs) and Tesla, you know, during his lifetime being a genius, but like the name absorption. And yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I'm just looking at page six. Um. Evidently, one of his children's name is X. He named one of his kids X. But that he is also, proof of the obsession. That is not he, he the also beginning has, of the obsession, right? No, I think, I think it is an obsession. Yeah, and I think it is mental illness, obviously. And <laughs> the other thing that worries me about him is that he has 10 children. Did y'all know that? Now, how you lay with the last man, with a man with the last name of Musk? What? I don't like that. I mean, it's giving me Nick Cannon because the headline of this article is Who are Elon Musk's kids? It's 10 children's names, ages, and their mothers. I'm I'm like, again, when do we get off the train? Like we he has taken us on a crazy ride. Okay, cool. Let us go to Sanityville because this is a lot. I guess that the last thing I'll ask about it, because I've been dying to ask the Ray about this all week. Is so, do you think like this is the last stop of because my whole thing? Shout out to Threads and, and Spill or whatever, like you know, live your dreams, pursue them, whatever. But my like, my hunch is oh, if Twitter implodes and stops, that's a sign that we should stop talking on the same app at the same time together as a, <laughs> as a world community, as a world, like. <laughs> I'm totally down to say, oh, that was a failed experiment. There's no, let's not even try to do that again. To get everybody in the world together to talk about things. Even as I look at the trending topics now, there's wars, there's Doja Cat, there, there, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're really made to be this connected. I think we, I, I, I think if it is, you know, just about connection and bringing people together, it would be wonderful. But it's actually about leveraging misinformation, disinformation, psychological warfare onto Twitter users and using the app for evil. That is what is messing us up. I think when it is just about the people coming together, I think that's a beautiful thing. But it's it's like that is the means to the end for for the people who want to control the world to be able to use that. I sound like a conspiracy theorist this morning, but you do no. sound like a I do think that the, um, I think that there will always be a place where people do real time things. What is the place if after Twitter? I don't know, but I think that Twitter. My my read of Twitter is that it crashes and burns under Elon. Somebody buys it, and we and it like comes back. So 
that's what I, that is what I hope happens. And you still find it useful, like nothing about, I guess when thinking about, because I think the thing with Twitter is it, when it booms, unlike Instagram and Facebook, when it booms, when Twitter booms, it had such a, um, a moral, political boom that it felt necessary. I don't know, like, I feel like when Twitter got really popular, you're like, this is the new reporting. Activists are on here, intellectuals are on here. It's not just popular pictures or pictures of food. This is real things happening. Do you think that with Twitter existing or not existing, do you think that we as a culture have surpassed no, I think something moment. will fill the void. I think that like Got when it. things happen, you will need a place to go to be like, what happened? And I think that Spill is like the cool kids room. And Threads is, you know, this is the hard thing about Threads is I think Threads try to lean into the bare bones too much. And it's just like, I can't find my likes. It's no trend. Like it it feels like Twitter when it first started and you're like, we already went through that thing. Like that's, that's too, they right. went too far back. It's like, we did that already. That's why they had a 70% drop in user, uh, in, in user, whatever, um, user using it. Wow. Threads, Threads had a 70% drop off in, in like user usage, uh, like a week after launch. And it's like, that makes sense to me. Cause it's like, it's like very 1.0 Twitter. And you're like, well, right. we, we can't search any of that. Can't search names, can't search topics, can't search. It was like, this is not what I want. But anyway, there are more important things to talk about than wild Elon. Uh, like wild DeSantis. Is that a more important thing to talk about? And <laughs> the new Florida Department of Education standards for how they are talking about the history of, in, of, of slavery in Florida? Oh, the new I'm like, standards are teachers really this, teaching this though? Uh, I think so. You know what was actually, Dre, this uh, an aside, but sort of related. NPR, maybe um, This American Life, maybe two Sundays ago, had a whole, the whole episode was, was, um, was about Florida and how people during COVID in particular moved to Florida because of the, because schools were open. And they were that, you know, and they weren't masking. But it was fascinating to hear how people like literally just so admired DeSantis that they picked up their lives, their families and relocated from places like New Jersey to Florida. So this is interesting to me because I, I think to answer your question, yes, I think there is like obviously a demographic of people who are very much like, ah, that makes sense to me. That's right. And it's like the same category of people who are like, but we treated our slaves so nice. They were treated nicely, and I, you know, I'm 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 not the I'm not the youngest chicken, but I'm still really I'm still young, you know. And I went to school, elementary school, middle school, high school in Georgia, and middle school in elementary school in Georgia proper, like not Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia. Like it doesn't even make any sense to tell you the hometown because nobody would know it, but like having the teachers I grew up with and having the teachers there that, like, I knew and stuff like that, like, it's just so imaginable to me because the... If I, I could make a whole book just based off of the 100 most racist things that I've ever heard around, you know, so, social... I, I had a teacher tell me that um, that Black people, like, to, like, it, like to calm me down. She didn't want to be... She was being, like nice racist she was like she was like oh don't worry black people are not you're, you're, 
black people are not good at algebra. That's just not what don't don't cry. I was getting frustrated because I wasn't getting it. She's like, don't cry. Black people are not like she was a sweetheart. Like she was like, go 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 play basketball. <laughs> yeah, that was wow. like she didn't say, she didn't say the last part, but that was her whole thing. She was like, black people are just every community is good at something, and that's just not what you're good at, and just wild things like are getting into a real argument about the basis one of the mm-hmm. big basis of the civil war being um slavery like one of the reasons why we were in the civil war and having multiple teachers just say like that had nothing to do with the civil war that is miscommit like just arguments i've been in iss for that argument many a times i have friends who we still talk on instagram when we see each other that had were in the same school who like we all got together and like argued and it makes it just I just already see it happening because mm-hmm. I, I know those teachers, I know those environments. And this is just a green light to do really what they've always been doing. Because right. that's how I was educated. And this there's a quote from DeSantis. I think what they're doing is oh, I think what they're doing is is I think that they're probably going to show some of the folks that eventually parlay parlayed, you know, being a blacksmith into doing things later in life. <sighs> Fool, what? Like, what are you what? talking about? This is giving me all my little high school flashbacks. We I also mean, like, went, what are you? We also what? went with the blacksmith recreation in, high, in, um, in middle school. <laughs> and it took me a minute, years to figure out, wait, all those pe- white people were supposed to be black people. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't no black boy in Georgia trying to recreate it and go to that and be a blacksmith. And it took me minutes. I was like, where are these Amish people at in the oh history books? I was like, God. oh, y'all are supposed to be slaves or enslaved people or, yeah. No, I think that, like, re- that re-narrative is just such a whistle. It's just a whistle. You don't, like, you don't believe that. We don't believe that. But... The people you and the people who you're even whistling to don't believe that you just want them to know that you're willing to be on the side of white supremacy, other than the truth, and certain things like that and ideas like that show people, okay, you're actually loyal to the institution of white supremacy and not and not truth, and that is what it costs to be a, a Republican <laughs> today. And it's a reminder that the um, you know. As much as it is the structures and the laws, it is the stories we tell that shape the way people think about the world and they are invested in reshaping the stories. I think about, um, I, I, will, I, will, I don't know why I was in DC at the Bible Museum. There's a museum of the Bible and they were talking about uh, the slave Bible that during slavery, slave owners, there was a version of the Bible that we only have a couple copies left of where they removed every single instance of rebellion and that's what the slaves got. And we know it exists because they have some, like some but slave owners were invested in burning it. They like destroyed them, but there are some left. And it's like, yeah, you're making all these people become Christians and destroy, and like literally removing every instance of people rebelling because you need to control the narrative. Like the narrative is, is so much a part of how this functions. Don't go anywhere. More Politics the People's coming. The recent Supreme Court decisions striking down affirmative action, student debt relief, and basic rights for LGBTQ people deserve no respect from us. Put on a tee that shows you dissent and turn on the latest episode of Strict Scrutiny to hear Leah, Kate, and Melissa break down the latest batch news from the court. Head over to cricket.com slash store to get your tea now. 
All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. I, I I bring you some some sad news. So this is this is actually something that I like revisit a lot on the podcast because a I find it interesting next to like the 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 burgeoning new black conservatism. I also kind of I think that because of all the conversations that we're having around trans people, I'm also really observant and aware about how other people react to those those discussions and those advances and i'm not a fan so the per- the person who i'm talking about is just hilarious just hilarious is a comedian who you might know from co-hosting on the breakfast club also being on wild and out um she's really popular on instagram and sh- her demographic she skews you know black mostly black women and you know that 18 to 35 or probably like 18 to 40 or maybe even older like age bracket and and she's and she is a popular comedian two days ago she got on the internet was responding to one sole person she was getting the conflict with who was trans and then just kind of like <laughs> says kind of the most vitriolic thing that you can think of to the tra- to the uh, to the, the entire trans community instead of like you know saying something to one person and says that you know I'm a natural born woman and who's gonna protect us and 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 is kind of saying all these things that are alluding to a of course trans women not being um, women but then also that there's a hierarchy in um, womanhood, humanity, and an oppression and 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 either and, and a black women are are the only are the only real black women. And then also that there that black women are also the most vulnerable and even trans women in their engagement with us is like a kind of like uh, like a like a like a kind of like a uh, 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 reinforced misogyny, like seeing trans women as just men in dresses who are telling quote unquote real men, women what to do. That's just kind of like this 
um, counter narrative that's been that's been coming out and uh, without any kind of like critical analysis. So she says this, it goes super duper um, viral, and it's it's just wild to me, you all, because there's so much going on. <laughs> And I like t- I tweeted it out like ye- yesterday. I'm just like you're. We're defending something. I've said this countless times on this podcast alone. I'm like you're not even included in the gender binary you're defending. You know, I know it's like a tired, tired, tired like ABC talking point, but it obviously it needs repeating. I'm like we when everything was when the dust was settling and. When you look at social life here, specifically being from the South, and maybe because I grew up with such remnants of it, but it's like, no, it was men, women, colored. It was how we were engaged with during even chattel slavery was uh, was uh, divorcing us from any gender. And the only reason that truly matters to us is because gender in this society is how you're getting, how you often get granted humanity. So us getting granted gender and, and, and humanity helped was important even the sign that we put on our chest i am a man all these things were shouts and signals of of showing that we are uh gender people because we want to be seen as human people and now that that conversation is expanding and we're kind of editing stuff it's just interesting to see some of the people who have the loudest things to say and the most violent things to say towards the community are the people just hilarious who would um benefit from it all this is a sticky part of the conversation but a lot of people were bringing up i forgot the um the woman's name the woman the cis woman who just died because a man thought she was trans so she was killed because a man thought she was trans just hilarious has actually talked about different experiences where somebody because of her voice or because of how she um how she performs her own gender people assuming her to be a trans woman and asking her this is you know she said this story countless times but like asking her uh to go on dates and then not say, not want to go on dates or somebody getting mad at her and saying something transphobic in order to um in order to diminish her. We see the same thing happen to Serena Williams, Michelle Obama. I say all this all these other things that no trans issues are selfishly a cis black woman issue. And then if we even think altruistically just as a community, just because trans people, trans women because we are human, we should be able to be granted certain types of conversations and certain types of um, leeway. It's just what's disturbing. And I don't know. I want to see y'all's opinion. You know, DeRay is uh, repping the same, the, the, the same the same hometown. And I just felt like uh, we, we, we got we got to talk about it. We got to dissect it. And then maybe figure out, like, what is... I think I'm most interested in what is the conversation to have. So every single time we're at this point of conflict culturally, we don't go back to square one. I think that's the thing that's most exhausting, is that it feels like I'm telling people things that Laverne Cox and Jenna Mock said almost, like, damn there 10 years ago, you know, and kind of gave their whole first 10 years in order to educate people on the ABCs, one, two, threes. And people are like throwing out the window and saying, "Mm, no, like how do we avoid that happening? If there's any avoiding it. I was both disappointed in Jess Hilarious and unsurprised because she said other problem. You know, I remember when she was homophobic and it was like, I didn't mean it. You know, I love gay people. And you're like, okay, girl, like this is, this is a, this is who you are. I think the only thing I'll add to, um, 
add to what you've said is that what strikes me about Just Hilarious that's so interesting is this defense of womanhood, but she so famously doesn't defend women. And that I think is interesting. So, you know, when Russell Simmons is, you know, tearing Kimora down, she is on Russell's. She's like, how dare you criticize that man, you know? When, and that's like a pattern. There was another Black woman too who something happened to them and like justice wasn't on their side. And I say this because she is actually a, po- she is like, reminds me of Bell Hooks reminding us that patriarchy is something that everybody participates in. I think that that is what, just to me, is a poster child for a, a woman covering for patriarchy and calling it feminism. Like she nails it. And it is, there's actually not a more cookie cutter like explanation of it than her. She just like defends patriarchy. She finds her power in it. That is where her comfort is. She jokes and mocks women in the name of patriarchy. And then she's like, I'm a feminist. And you're like, wow, you are, you are, I wish Bell Hooks could write about you because it's almost so pitch perfect that it is a caricature. Yeah. When Bell Hooks says patriarchy has no gender, like she is the picture of like, this is how you literally it's like, Wow. Well, you all have very intellectual analysis <laughs> of this young woman. Me, not so much. Sis really wants to be famous. Like, so badly. And that is an issue with our culture and with our community. We don't have to talk about old girl who was saying she... The whole abduction thing, we're not even going to get into that. Alleged abduction. Everybody wants to be so famous. And I felt like for Jess, who I'll assume has a lot more good sense for what she is showing, knew that that was going to be a scandalized topic, knew what she was saying was going to go viral. And that's why she said it. Period. Okay. It's been one thing after the other with this gal saying wild things, stunting, like all of it. So, I, I mean, it, 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 everything that you all are, you both are saying is true. But I really I do believe that this is much more um, a, a, a show. Calculated. For, yeah. 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 I can respect yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Or in the sense I will double back and I checked and she defended Bill Cosby. Jesus. But that's the thing. It's more she wants to go against the grain so that she can get, people can talk about it. The only thing, I don't disagree with you, but what, what is interesting is usually she's saying this either to herself, but people who are she's saying it around often agree with her. You know? That part. So well, I don't, like, I don't, I don't think were... it's strictly like kind of like being a contrarian. I'm saying what I want. I yeah. think it's, I think what's kind of disturbing is that she does represent a lot of people in how they think. And she activates people who are like, no, why are you calling me a cis woman right now when I'm a woman? You know, why, right. you know, not knowing that like, you know, we also don't go around calling each other mammals, but it's a medical, uh, you know, scientific term and now the trans issue is talked about so we're using a medical term to talk about a medical thing in the culture so that's why it's been absorbed in the culture but like to 
her and other people it's just been something that's invented so i'm using that as an example mm-hmm. of like how they're kind of she's like they're kind of like trojan horse of like somebody saying it who's famous you know so i don't want it to make it seem like she's just solely a one individual it makes contrarian. me so sad yeah that she's famous and it remember that sad. she also um famously uh defended tory lanes and right. joked about meg the stallion so it's like again if you, it's like you she, she just is she is about she is the bell hooks critique it's like mm-hmm. the defender of patriarchy and then i just saw literally in this moment um, you you probably didn't see this because uh, Angelica just posted it four minutes ago. I'll show you this. Is that Jess Hilarious DM'd Angelica Ross to to taunt her about the period conversation? Well, let me see this. She just like Angelica Ross just posted this literally like while we were recording. Oh wait, let me read. Hold on. Okay, still can't. Pre- Sorry, so this is what Jess Hilarious has said to Angelica Ross via DM. So if I say anything wild, it's I'm quoting something. Still couldn't produce if you tried, homie. Help, homie. Oh, my God. Uh, Angelica Ross's dead name. A new way to bleed, huh? A lot of y'all got more and more stupid by the effing days. The gag is we got it and you're never going to get it, never going to get it. So she went to... Angelica Ross, who is a um, famous Black trans actress, and went into her DMs and taunted her because she's trans and she doesn't experience a uh, menstruation cycle. That's really miserable. And that's... That's really miserable. <laughs> and again, it just really makes me feel like if she, if this is what she's saying and feeling comfortable with, what is the actual content that maybe a, a big group of, like, more conservative, more transpho- like transphobic, whatever, Black folks, like, how are they feeling? Of course it's happening everywhere, obviously. This is happening everywhere between races, but sometimes I think that Black people can get, like, the liberal paint washed over them if you're not Black, and you're like, oh, you're Black, you're a Democrat, you're liberal, you're with no. it all, and you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> vote in blue because we got to not because we want to like if, if it wasn't for the race issue we will have a lot of more conservative black people if 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 if, if yeah if people weren't worried okay so I'm, I'm 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 amending what i said so <laughs> yes she wants to be famous and yes she says controversial things for social media but she's also just evil so i think that is my <laughs> synopsis of just hilarious and just hilarious. I'll tell you one thing, young lady, stop speaking for me. Cause I don't watch this or that or whatever that show comedy show is you were on. Nah, you call it I don't, out this or that. I don't, <laughs> I don't listen to the breakfast club. Angela E is no longer there. I am not listening to that show. So no, all these I don't, things I don't the, that I don't you're watch on. The supper club. I don't watch none of that. All these things, <laughs> child, I don't know that I, I'm not, I'm, I am a black woman and not, not your demographic. So don't try to represent me. Cause I, I, I didn't follow you. I didn't even hear, know of your name. And I am from what you young people are now calling the DMV, which is okay. really well, DC well, I, and the others. As we exit this topic, we'll, we'll leave it with, if it's with an auntie slogan that just came to mind as you were talking, if it doesn't come on HGTV, it's not for me. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> and that is the truth. Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Stay tuned. There's more to come. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. 
And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team, East or West, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. So my news is, so I think it's about Alabama. Um, I'm actually going to be in Alabama this weekend, though. Okay. Um, But it's a Vanity Vanity Fair article, um, short and sweet. I actually was looking for the right article to post on this issue, and this was the one I liked the best. But the headline is Definition of Noncompliance. And we covered this before. So the basically the Supreme Court even we have a conservative court, but the court still came down and said that um, Alabama's districting was basically gerrymandering, ger- gerrymandering and they needed to go back to the drawing board to ensure that they were drawing congressional districts that Black people could have, can keep their congressional members. So right now it's um, it's Sewell, I believe. Um, and so the new drawings would basically take away that that, I think it was going from like, 50% to 40% um, for Black folks, and then taking a portion of, of what that congressional district was, which was predominantly Black, and giving it to a nearby um, congressional district that went surely went for Trump in 2020. Um, but what's interesting is even with the Supreme Court being like, you cannot do that, and you need to redraw the lines, this legislature in Alabama was like, we're going to do what we do. Um, so they passed a redrawn congressional map that appears to really go against the court-ordered mandate to create two majority Black districts in the state or something quite close to it, as the Supreme Court said. The new map was quickly signed by Republican Governor Kay Ivey on Friday, and the GOP-dominated legislature says that, collectively, we know our state, our people, and our districts better than federal courts or activist groups. So... The new map was approved. Um, it reduces the percentage of Black voters in Alabama's sole majority Black district, currently represented by, that's right, Congressman Terry Sewell, from 55% to 51%. And then on the other side, it boosts the percentage of Black voters in one of the state's six majority white districts from about 30% to 40%. Oh, so, you know, the Democrats, of course, are you know, all ablaze in Alabama saying that this is, you know, quintessential definition of noncompliance. Of course, also, you know, 
clearly uh, a practice of, of, of white supremacy and trying to suppress the black vote. Um, and it just, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, with these elections coming up, um, both, you know, kind of state, local elections, but also the, you know, next presidential election, things like this still being playing out how they're playing out and being unresolved is, of course, really upsetting and really unsettling. Um, similar things are happening in places like Louisiana. They had a similar order um, for the state legislature to withdraw its voting maps. They are refusing to do it. So it's just interesting because even where even where there should be an advantage given to, to Black voters, and it's not even an advantage, really. It's actually just equality. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not happening, right? And it's being, not only is it not happening, it's being like wildly fought against. So it's just interesting. I just wanted to bring, just bring this to the pod, but also bring it to, to our listeners, just because, you know, we have to be on the lookout that these things are happening. And as we're preparing to gear up for these elections and for getting out the vote, I mean, questions like this just around the voting maps are going to be absolutely essential for us to have a, a free and fair election. So the only thing, you know, it's it's so interesting. I saw this and I saw that statement like, y'all really, they really don't care. And I just get frustrated because, you know, the left is supposed to play by the rules and da 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 And, you know, when the court says that we finally lost this and abortion and blah, blah, blah. And then they lose the Supreme Court and they're like, vibes. Right. <laughs> they're like, they're like, didn't read it, didn't see it. Sorry, thanks for writing. Like, and not even stressed about it. They're like, we know it better than the Supreme Court. That That's like not even a rumor. That's their official statement. You're like, what? right. And it's so funny when I read that, I could like in my head, I was hearing it like, we don't care about your rule. Like it literally was like that, that depiction of somebody, you know what I mean? That's like has a whip in one hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will say um, because of my conversation last week, I called uh, a friend who was a professor at Harvard, who studies Reconstruction, because I was like, tell me what happened. Like, what happened? And the short version that, that I'll relay, he was like, remember that the only reason why Black people gained any power or anything in the South is that we sent the military. He's like, the military was in the South and maintained order. And it was like the Compromise of 1867 or something like that. It was like a contested presidential election. They didn't know who was going to, like, it was, it was contested. So for one of the people to drop out of the race to be president, the deal was that the military would leave the South. And when the military left the South, that was the end of Reconstruction. That's when everything, that's when the Ku Klux, that's when everything comes back. And he was like, remember that the only reason the South complied with anything was because the military was literally there. And he was like, the question became for the country, how long do you keep the military in the South? Like at some point, like that, that probably is not a tenable 100 year solution. But I just say this because it's like Alabama is reminding us that it took the military being in the South to actually make people do right by Black people. Yeah, this is way more just like informative for me and just like remind, reminds me and in, in, uh, that there really just is no place <laughs> that people won't go in order to win and to gain power and that it's necessary to like talk about stuff like this and to be uh, and to educate other people who are um, 
affected by this and I'm just like chewing on that great information that DeRay uh, just gave us I'm so I'm just kind of like my my head is kind of uh, spinning because that's so right and that it almost makes certain other efforts not laughable as in they shouldn't have happened or or like me minimizing them but it's like yeah it took this <laughs> for the South to act right we need something equal to that you know when you really when you really feel the gravity of it 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 makes so much more sense how come certain things haven't worked because it never worked (laughs) you you always needed uh uh, other federal forces in order to make the south not uh be a contentious place to be to uh to, to 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 be black a beautiful place that i grew up in but also uh, a really hard place to uh, be black and be raised. So my news is the criminal justice news, just so we're all on the same page about how the world is really special. The short uh, synopsis is that there is a famous uh, forensic scientist who was making it up. And his name is Henry Lee. You might know Henry Lee because uh, he's now 84, but he was the famous uh, evidence forensic expert in the O.J. Simpson trial. He was a consultant around the John Benet Ramsey trial in Colorado. Uh, he was also involved in the 2004 murder trial of Scott Peterson uh, and the 2007 murder of record producer Phil Spector. And he was the former head of the state's forensic lab, and he is now Professor Emeritus at the University of New Haven's College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Science. Now, he was just found liable by a judge for making up evidence in a murder case that sent two Connecticut men to prison for decades for a crime they didn't commit. Uh, Ralph Birch and Sean Henning, they were convicted on December 1st, 1985 for killing Everett Carr, uh, based in part on the testimony that he said that there were bloodstains on a towel found in the 65-year-old's home, 55 miles west of Hartford. Now, there was no evidence connecting these people. There was like no blood on people's clothes and da 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 But Lee testified that there was a towel, which he suggested could have been touched by the killers while they were cleaning up. And it was found in the bathroom near the crime scene with stains that he tested and he said were consistent with blood. But then after the tests done, tests were done after the trial when the men appealed their convictions and there was no blood actually on this towel. But Henry Lee got on the stand and said that that he suggested heavily that there was blood on the towel and that he attested it and that he was the expert. Uh, and, the, and the judge has noted there there was no that it's not even clear he performed a blood test when he testified. And this is, you know, this man has testified in a gazillion cases. Uh, and his quote was, in my 57-year career, I've investigated over 8,000 cases and never ever was accused of any wrongdoing or for testifying intensely wrong. This is the first case that I have to defend myself. Now, let me tell you, if this was some error where it was like the machine broke or da-da-da-da, I'd be like, you know, everything, like perfect is hard. You said you did a blood test and didn't do a blood test. That is lying. That is not a mistake. That's a lie. So I am just, you know, these people spent 30 years. They spent a lifetime in jail, you know? And I can only imagine how many other lives he ruined 
in the name of his own career to be an expert. What what a mess. So I just wanted to bring it here. But Dre, just think how many, first of all, Dre, you're obsessed with just forensics, period. We've had so many, we've covered f- criminal forensics in so many different types of way. And what we have learned from you bringing this to the pod is there's such lack of accountability around the discipline, but also like who can actually, who can get into forensics and what makes you a forensic expert, right? We already know that's just like not a whole lot and not a, not a whole lot in terms of what you need to know about science. So I think this is just like, what's shocking about this is that he has been an expert in 8,000 cases and we don't have a system that that holds holds this discipline, holds these practitioners to any great standard of accountability, right? It's like what they say goes because they're the expert. There's no kind of system around making sure that what they're saying is actually accurate and making sure that it is not completely fabricated. So I think that is the scary part in all of this is that we'll never know how many people, (laughs) how many people have been falsely accused, well, falsely incarcerated, but also um, it, it, we'll just we'll just never know what those numbers are because we don't really have a system in place beyond something that's just like, you know, DNA testing. Um, that's gonna that's gonna really bring this, really shed light on like how deep this issue goes. And the other thing is that you you know these people got lucky. They had a lawyer who could appeal, who knew the right thing to appeal. Right. Like most people, you know, they even even when the judge is crazy, they don't have the legal resources to file an appeal. I, you know, we're doing this campaign at Campaigns on a drug-free school zone and we were talking to somebody about it and their friend got an extra two years for committing a crime in a drug-free school zone that, wink, wink, turns out they weren't in a drug-free school zone. But their lawyer didn't know anything about the zone. They didn't know the streets. So they just didn't even know to contest the idea that they were getting two more years for the zone that they weren't even in. And you're like, this is crazy. But that's even like Innocence Project. I mean, I was when I was in law school, I, I was with Innocence Project for a semester, and it really just is in cases where DNA can be test, tested. You know what I'm saying? So it, it really, when you're talking about the science and the forensics of it all, it's like there aren't that many avenues to be able to disprove what is what has happened, or or you know. So it's just, I don't know. This is this is. I hate that, that this yeah. happened and. You know, I'm a big believer in Limitless Lemonade, so I definitely want the Netflix doc investigation of what's going on because it's what because the 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 wildest thing that's like echoing to me is that he's being accused of making up evidence, and there's so many things when I was reading the article that he's being accused of that, of course, maybe show like incompetence or show you know, how iffy forensics are and stuff like that. But the other things are just kind of like moral things that you're like, hmm, could you have gotten, is there, is there a money trail here? Are you being, are you being requested by lawyers to be the forensic expert and getting paid money? Might you be, uh, like that's the kind of the, the part that I'm most interested in. Um, and specifically because he was in some landmark cases like, 
Oh my goodness, have y'all seen this? Have y'all seen anything about the Phil Spector um, case? Oh my goodness, please ruin your day and watch it because it's so <laughs> fascinating. It's so fascinating, and Phil Spector is such a musical genius and evil genius, and it was just it's just wild. But that was such a Phil Spector had got off, got on. It was such a. Um, it, it was oh, such I think a, I, he it, killed his wife, right? No, a girlfriend. Like, uh, like a girl, yeah, like a, a girl who he had met that night, but like he is, he had already had like a night. So I still have to say is he had got off for some wild things and it was, and it's so, um, necessary once you even, even me thinking about the Phil Spector, um, situation, just that one, not the all 8,000, but that one situation, how important it was to have somebody with integrity reviewing the, that evidence because Phil Spector's celebrity had already freed him and had already made people, uh, get, have him get away with murder and violences. So it was so, it was so important that somebody who couldn't be influenced because of money. And again, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but I'm like, there's, just only so many conclusions you can come to why somebody would be in the habit of saying they did a blood test but then didn't do a blood test or, you know, that it, it feels like money will have to be the foundation of that. This week, we welcome Christian Cooper on the pod to talk about his new memoir, Better Living Through Burning, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. Many remember Cooper from the 2020 viral video of him being accosted by a white woman dog walker in Central Park while he was birding. But there's so much more to his story than meets the public eye. We talk about his love for birds, how it developed, and all the lessons that he learned through birding. You will learn so much from him, too. Here we go. Christian, it is so great to be in conversation with you. Welcome to the pod. Oh, thank you, Dore. Glad to be here. So, you know, we all met you because of a viral video uh, in the park, but you've done so much more than just that one moment. I'd love to know, uh, where did your love of birds come from? Like, how did this, was this like, a, was it cartoons? Was it, you know, you grew up around a bird place or I don't know, what was it? Um, well, the setting, the the background was the fact that my dad was a science teacher, and and for a good chunk of that, he was specifically a biology teacher. So nature was always big in our household. Um, but with me, for some reason, it, it took the particular form of birds. Uh, it started with uh, my spark bird, as we call it in birding lingo, uh, the bird that that starts you down that dark, dark path. Um, and for me, it was a, uh, a red-winged blackbird. I put up a bird feeder in the backyard, and I thought I was seeing crows with little patches of red on the wing. And I thought, I've discovered a new species of crow at 10 years old, getting all excited. And then uh, it turns out they were red-winged blackbirds. But I wanted to ask you, like... Um... Do you own birds? How do you feel about owning birds? Oh, no, 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 no. To me, owning a bird, putting a bird in a cage, this creature that was born to fly free through the skies, to take a bird and put it in a cage is like you might as well take a hot poker and blind Picasso or take an axe and chop off the hands of Chopin. You know, you just, you don't, uh, in, in my opinion, you just, you just don't do that. Um, and I think particularly for us as black people, we should have a little bit of, of, of understanding of what it means to have your freedom taken away and, uh, and, and empathize with, with how birds should be wild and free. 
You know, early in the book, you there, the first thing that I read that I was like, hmm, didn't know this at all, is you talk about how birds have a limited sense of smell. And I don't know if I like, I just, I never even thought about that. And and you obviously talk about the importance of sight and, and touch and, um, and how the thing that we all know about birds, they can fly. But I was like, I didn't even think about the limited sense of smell. Well, but you know, new theories are that that may may not be so correct. Then in fact, their sense of smell may be okay. Now they're still primarily like us. They primarily re- rely on sight and sound, but new theories, new studies seem to indicate that they have uh, they, they you know their sense of smell is not as limited as we thought. And then certain kinds of birds, like vultures, they've got a good sense of smell. They have to have one because they got to smell that rotting carcass so that they can zero in on it. Now, let's go back to the park real quick, and then we'll hop back to the book. Sure. So the video obviously changed your life in a lot of ways in that moment. Uh, How has it been the further you get away from it? What is people like? What do people come say to you or what are the like? I have to imagine that people recognize you and they're like, hey, what is that? What do they want to talk about in addition to birds? Interesting question. Um. A lot of times, and, and the mo- most of the time, if I get recognized and I don't have binoculars around my neck, it's other black people. And usually it's always a, v- a very positive interaction. And, you know, they're just, you know, thanking me maybe for bringing the issue to light or for how I handled the situation or, or whatever. So, so that's, that's usually what, how people come to me. And as far as sort of, you know, what people want to talk about, I mean, I guess I've been asked a number of times lately why I didn't want to be involved in the prosecution of her or why I didn't sue her or something like that. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different reasons. It was really right on the line for me. I, I, I could have gone either way, and ultimately I decided to go on the side of mercy, even though I knew there were some important potential legal issues to establish, legal precedents to establish. I thought, you know what, her life has imploded. It's a mess already. You know, this would be piling on, you know, let's, let's show a little mercy. But there's a bigger point, which is that to keep going after her is to keep the focus on her. And it's not about her. You know, what was important about that incident was how it highlighted principally for white people, because we black people know, we live it. Absolutely. Highlighting for a lot of white people that, hey, racial bias is deeply ingrained in our culture and pops up in all these different ways. That's what's important. And so we need to focus on how that racial bias affects our lives in big, important ways. For example, how it bubbles up in the criminal justice system so that a white police officer in Minneapolis that same day as what happened to me thinks it's appropriate to kneel on a black man's neck until he's dead and how that racial bias manifested in the other police officers that they stood around and saw that and did nothing and how that racial bias comes up, for example, in the fact that Washington, D.C. has no representation, a urban largely black and brown city, an urban, largely black and brown city has no representation, whereas rural, overwhelmingly white Wyoming gets two senators. Rural, overwhelmingly white Vermont gets two senators. 
But black and brown DC can't become a state. Nobody's doing anything to make them a state. That's racial bias in a way that affects lives in big, important ways. So while we're high-fiving maybe that we put that woman away behind bars from Central Park, meanwhile, the, the, the Supreme Court is rolling back affirmative action. So we have to keep our eyes on the prize. We got to keep our focus on what matters. And that's the racial bias and how the racial bias manifests in important ways that we can fight against and change. I love it. Did you ever get a private apology? No. And I'm not looking for anything. I'm not looking for anything from her. You know, I, I, my life has moved on in myriad ways. Hopefully hers has too. And, you know, let, our, let us lead our separate lives. One of the things in the Blackbird chapter that, um, that stuck out to me is you talked about the, Jama- I think it was called the Jamaica Wild Refuge, that trip with your dad. and Jamaica Bay Wildlife Refuge, right. Jamaica Bay, and then um, the adventure with Elliot. Is, is I was like, oh my God, there's so much around me that I haven't paid attention to. Like, even when the walk through Central Park, the idea that, like, to, in my mind, there aren't a million types of birds in the park. I don't know. It's like a bird's a bird. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this. I was like, oh, he is, like, seeing things that I just didn't see. Um, and, I, and I wonder how, how did you train yourself to see those things? Like, what, was it the walks? Was it the, I don't know, like... Yeah, birds move so quick to me that I'm like, and I and I love the part about the, you know, keep your eye on the bird, like that tip that's in uh, the Blackbird mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd love to know, I, I, that was my takeaway from that chapter. I was like, wow, there's way more around me that I just haven't seen, you know? Once you start paying attention to the birds, you start noticing all these different things about them. And you don't have to have binoculars. You know, I mean, binoculars are a great tool and, you know, yes. If you can get them. Do you have but, special binoculars? Are they like special ones? Uh, well, they are special to me because, uh, first of all, they are top of the line, super expensive. And they were a 50th birthday gift from my late father. So, um, What's the best binocular brand? I don't know this, so I'm curious. Well, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Um, <laughs> a lot of people swear by uh, Swarovski. So, you know, you may they think make binoculars? Exactly. A lot of people, people think they're all about bling. But they actually have a division because, you know, they're working with crystals and, and, you know, super polished glass. So they make optics that are very, very high end. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, my, my 50th birthday gift, gift from my dad um, was a pair of Swarovski binoculars. So, um, but you don't need binoculars. Um, great if you can get them. I've never bought a pair in my life. All my binoculars have been either hand-me-downs or gifts. But the point is... You start paying attention and you notice all these different things. And you're like, oh, wait, this little brown bird is a little bit different from this other little brown bird. And I just kind of lumped them all together as little brown birds. But there's a difference. Is that difference because one's male and one is female? Or are they different species? One of the most interesting things uh, for me was I used to, um, I still do for years, um, for decades, I've been going into the New York City public schools to talk to kids about birds and get them outside of the concrete jungle and into whatever green spaces they have nearby and away from their pixels, whether it's their phone or the TV screen or whatever, and get them looking at nature and whatever green space they have. And when I took the kids out at first, some of them were like, oh, okay, so there's a pigeon. And then they would look at a house sparrow and they'd be like, and that's a baby pigeon. 
to them. That's me. That's me. Well, yeah, they didn't realize that they're they're two different species and that that little brown sparrow was never going to get any bigger and was never going to turn into a pigeon. Um, You know, it's sort of like the idea that you would look look at a mouse and think, okay, that mouse is going to grow up one day to be an elephant. And no, that's not the way it works. So, yeah, so once you start paying attention to these things, there's so much to learn, and it's so exciting. It's like it's, it's having a veil lifted from your eyes, and there's a, not to be a cliche, like from a Disney film, but a whole new world out there for you to experience. It's wonderful, and it happens everywhere. That's the wonderful thing about birds. It is everywhere. I don't care if you're in the middle of the city. I don't care if you're, you know, out on the ocean. You can be in the desert. There are birds. In the um, in the Ramus, the Book of Ramus, did I say it right? Yeah, Book of Ramus. In that chapter, when you talk about what it is, what it was like to be a queer kid who you know wasn't out and and was trying to navigate and in the escape to the outdoors, uh, but also the fascination with science fiction and the X Men, which I also loved. I was like a X Men through and through. Uh, is right. that love? Who was your favorite character? I mean, it's it's so cliche. I'm embarrassed, but Storm, obviously, because like Storm, I, I mean, it is all about Storm. <laughs> who is better than Storm? I will say, I met the guy who um, who who created Jean Grey, mm-hmm. and I asked him like, why did you make her the most powerful person in the universe? And he was like, I was 18. I just gotten hired by Stan Lee. And all of the female characters were, they had sexist powers. Mm. So he was like, one person, one woman's power was to scream. He was like, well, that was sexist. He was like, another superhero got small. She shrunk. He was like, well, that was sexist. And he was like, I couldn't change those characters. So the only thing I could do was make her the most powerful. And I was like, I love that. I had never even thought about that. You know what I mean? Um, well, it's funny because there, there was a time in the X-Men where all the most powerful characters were the women. Storm, Jean Grey, you know, the, as, as Phoenix. They, they had all the raw power. They, they could kick the men's ass anytime they wanted to. I loved it. Do you still have that, um, do you still have that love? Or? Oh, totally, totally. Um, I, I, I don't follow X-Men as closely as I used to. The, you know, there's been a lot of changes in, in that world. Um, but yes, no, I still have a passion for science fiction, for, for comics. Uh, and certainly, you know, the Marvel Universe has conquered the movie theater. Uh, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Marvel blockbuster these days. So, um, yeah, no, I still, I still embrace that, that passion for, for science fiction. It's a great escape. But also, the nice thing about science fiction is it lets you imagine other possibilities. And I think that's so important for those of us who are queer and for those of us who are Black, you know, where we face a world that is not always the way the world should be for us. And science fiction, fantasy, lets you imagine a world that is different, where we are fully embraced or where there are new possibilities for us. So I think that's that's important, that hope and that opening up of the imagination. Now, I don't want to give away too much because people need to buy the book and read it. But you talk about in this chapter coming out to Deb. I think Deb, Deb is her name, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, did you have a long relationship with Deb after that moment? Like, did you? Oh, she texted me yesterday. <laughs> you still are in touch with Deb. Oh, uh, I'll be talking to Deb till the day I die. More back in Birdland, you talk about blackbirds a lot. 
And I didn't even appreciate, I mean, you put it in the book, but like Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Dude. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, that is about birds. Um, but my question to you is, if I walk through the park, what bird should I be looking for? Like, is there like a most common bird in New York City? Or is it just like a bird? Like, I don't know. Like what, if I start in my birding journey, should I be seeking out a bird? All right. I want to make this more general because there is no one single bird that you're going to, that you're going to find. It really depends on what habitat you're in, what time of year it is, what's, what part of the country you're in. So the thing is to, to just, you know, when you, when you walk out your front door or you don't even have to walk out your front door, if you're homebound, when you look out your window, you know, just see what you see and observe. It's funny. I birded in East Africa, in Kenya. I was so lucky to be able to do this with Kenyan birders. You know, I wasn't birding with these expat Brits. This was a black African ornithology student who I birded with, which was fabulous. And he said, he kept his catchphrase for me was ATD, ATD, attention to detail. So when you see these birds, observe what they do. Observe, you know, not just what the colors are, but where the colors are distributed. You know, is it primarily on the breast? Is it primarily on the back? Does it have an eye ring? Does it have wing bars? What is it doing? Is it cocking its head sideways and looking at the ground? You know, the, you notice all these things, and in the, it'll not only help you identify the bird, but you'll learn so much about what the bird is doing and what the bird, how the bird fits into the bigger world. And then you start to figure out, well, how do I fit in? into this bigger natural world. And you start to explore that. So it's, it's really just a matter of ATD, attention to detail. And you, in that segue, the book highlights, you've traveled a lot of places. You've been to a lot of countries and seen birds in many habitats. Is there, I don't even know the best way to ask this because I'm like a learning birder, I guess is what I'd say. Um, is, is there a place where you're like, I will never forget birding here. There are a lot of places in the book that you talk about, like just the whole experience of the people and that, but like, yeah, is there, you're like, wow, that was just like a wild birding experience. Tons of places. I I can't even begin to, to, to limit how many places that I've gone where I've had an incredible birding experience. And I'm happy to say that before the year is out, I will I'm lucky enough that I'll be able to visit the last continent I haven't been to on the planet. I'm actually going on a cruise to Antarctica. So I'm going to see, you know, all the glaciers and icebergs and penguins. But anyway, yes, so many memories of amazing birds. For example, I remember being in Tobago in the Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago, the country there. And I was on the island of Tobago. And I saw this hummingbird called the Ruby Topaz hummingbird. But I didn't know I was looking at it. Because hummingbirds, a lot of times, the colors only come out when the light hits them a a certain way. So I'm looking at this bird, and it's gray. And then it gets into a fight with another ruby topaz hummingbird. And so the two of them are fighting midair, tumbling down towards the ground. And as they do, the light is hitting them a certain way, and suddenly the colors on them are flashing because ruby topaz hummingbirds, when the light hits them a certain way, are flaming red. So as these two birds are tumbling, it's like someone is striking matches off as they fall down towards the ground, like flash, 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 flash. It was stunning. Um, And then uh, another, uh, the opposite end of the scale, I was in Ecuador and I had made this trip in the middle of the pandemic 
on a whim because somebody I knew said they knew where there was an active harpy eagle's nest. Harpy eagles are the biggest eagles in the world. And so I went down there. I trekked through ankle-deep swamp, ruining a pair of hiking boots, didn't care. And finally, I get to this tree, and there's a huge nest, and there is the hugest mother of all eagles sitting there in the tree. And at one point, she just kind of stretches out a wing and this huge thing opens up and her tail opens up. And I'm just standing there like, okay, you are a harpy eagle. It was just stunning. So, you know, there's memories all around the globe of amazing birding experiences. I love it. There was this beautiful sentence about your, about your dad deep in the book um, Elliot Kuttner was my birding mentor for all those years, but Francis Cooper was my dad. Just a, just a good sentence. Uh, can you talk about how he, how your, your dad, uh, set you up to be the man that you are today? Yeah. Well, my, my, it's hard to summarize in just a few sentences. That's where you really need to read the book is the chapters about my dad, because, um, he was, he was a project, my dad. Um, he was a very difficult man. And yet, you know, his love for me was never in question. Um, not to him, you know, I didn't always understand it. Um, but I eventually came to understand it. And, what that love for me meant was that you know he was a school teacher. He spent all week busting his butt, um, working with kids, getting up early, going to school, and you know teaching is a hard job, very very hard job. And then the weekend would come, and you would think he would get to sleep in on a Sunday, but that man got himself up at the crack of dawn because his bird crazy son wanted to go on the South Shore Audubon Bird Walk and go see some birds. And so he got his butt up at the crack of dawn on Sunday when everybody else would be sleeping in and took me to the bird walk. And that was, you know, just one example of his devotion to family and what that meant. So yeah, he, he, he was, he was a special guy. He was a difficult guy, Um, (laughs) but what did he call you? Did he call you Christian? Dependent. You know, my, my family tends to call me alternately Chris or Christian. Usually Christian happens when somebody's mad at me or I've done something wrong. <laughs> so. I love it. Now, one thing I'll end with, I know that we're coming up on time, but um, but I, as I got deeper into the book, actually in the chapter about your dad, this is not where he first appeared. Not The sense I just read came from a different chapter, but um, the tragedy of Francis chapter so I didn't know that the Diallo protests didn't kick into high gear until activists from Bed Up Queers blocked traffic on Broadway. I had no clue about that. It was queer people who turned it into a civil disobedience protest. Um, and that was really important because it threw a spotlight on the issue of our treatment at the hands of police as African-Americans. So that was huge. And, and I remember Calvin Butts, the, the late reverend of the Abyssinian Baptist Church, really important church in Harlem, saying that he would never forget what gay people had done for the black community in doing that. So, yeah, no, it was one of those wonderful moments of intersectionality where, you know, we had each other's backs. I love it. I, I've heard a lot. I mean, my work is the police all day, and that was a story that I did not tell. I read your book, and I love this, the passage about your dad, um, as you talk about intake and, and the quote is, when I finally walked out around daybreak the next morning, dad, who had been my one phone call upon arrest, 
was there to greet me, bearing the blessed relief of a bagel. Yeah, and even even more so the the moment when he and I are in jail together. That was that was a real moment to remember. So yeah. I love it. Well, everybody, make sure you buy the book. I have two questions that we ask everybody. Uh, the first is, uh, what's a piece of advice that you've gotten that has always stuck with you? Wow, a piece of advice that, that has always stuck with me. It's not so much advice as unspoken rule. And this is something my sister and I grew up with in our household. Nobody said it explicitly. We just knew it. It was, it was part and parcel of how we were raised, that if you see something wrong with the world, it is your personal responsibility to do something to try to fix it. And we grew up with that our whole lives. And both of us still try to live, live by that. Boom. Uh, is she here in the city too? No, she's out in L.A. now. Is she, does she love birds? Does she know anything about birds? She knows something about birds. She's, 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 (laughs) she's, she grew up surrounded by nature just like I did. I'm the one who turned out bird crazy, but she is quite familiar with a lot of, she couldn't, she couldn't have a brother like me and not be quite familiar with a lot of birds. So I love it. And the last question is there a lot of people who feel like they've done all the things. They read your book, they called, they protested, they, we're in the streets, they watch a documentary and the world hasn't changed in the way that they wanted it to. What do you say to those people whose hope is being challenged? I say that the change does not happen overnight. It's really hard for us to remember that, to remember that the change is not going to happen overnight and that we will get setbacks like we are seeing from these crazy things coming out of red states where they, you know, like we are seeing with the Supreme Court rolling back affirmative action. Keep your eye on the long-term prize. Work towards that long-term goal. Keep making the changes, and we cannot help but win. Boom. We'll let everybody know the name of the book again and to get it and where they can keep in touch with you. Is it Twitter? Is it Facebook? Is it a website? Uh, And thank you so much for coming. Sure. Um, The name of the book is Better Living Through Birding, and it's available everywhere. Uh, The name of the TV show is is, uh, Extraordinary Birder, and that's on Natchea Wild and is streamable on Disney Plus and Hulu. Um, And you can keep in touch with me via Instagram, Christian Cooper Birder. (laughs) I love it. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Pod Save the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out and make sure you rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we'll see you next week. Pod Save the People is a production of Cricket Media. It's produced by AJ Moultre and mixed by Evan Sutton. Executive produced by me. And special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles E. Johnson. Drapetomania X, Unshackled History, is a new podcast hosted by Michael Harriet, the Dean of Black Twitter. Drapetomania X serves up a more accurate and unapologetic version of Black history. Michael's meticulous research blends seamlessly with hilarious sketches and comedic bits, making each episode an absolute joyride. It's Black history like you've never experienced before. Drapetomania X, Unshackled History, is guaranteed to make you laugh while learning about the richness of our culture. I promise it is what everyone's going to be talking about the cookout. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.